Welcome to Well Examined, the podcast where science and discovery meet intuition and wellness with your host, Christine Dynes. Each episode, I'll chat with the best minds in integrative epigenetic health, biohacking, neuroscience, quantum healing, and lifestyle design, as well as a slew of reputable citizen scientists across all facets of wellness. Good morning, friends. Today we're joined by the lovely Lindsay Elmore, the pharmacist inspiring health by making science tangible. Lindsay's pharmacopoeia stretches far beyond convention. She's highly studied in herbs, supplements, and food is medicine. Lindsay and I share a connectedness because we have an innate understanding about the body's magnificent ability to heal and teaching others about self-care advocacy. I know a lot of you already know Lindsay from her work in the Young Living Essential Oil community, and you wrote to me with tons of questions, and I worked a lot of those into today's discussion. So let's welcome our guest. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being with us today. There's so much to talk about, and I recently started asking all of the listeners to send questions. So many of the things I would love to talk about today have been shaped by the community. Oh, great. Yeah. Everybody loves to hear our guest stories through their ikigai. Were you familiar with this concept before I put it out there to you? No, I had never heard of this, but I love the idea how it aims to bring so many different concepts together because that's not easy to do. It's such a cool question because it really helps you speak from your heart. And wherever you are, it kind of stops you in your tracks and you do this little, um, you know, introspection. And I feel like the responses are always so heartfelt. So will you share that with everybody today so we can kick off with that spirit? Well, when I approached this, I thought about my journey throughout life. And I realized a couple things along the way. What the world needs is the ability to explain health and wellness and the human body in a way that helps people to say, okay, I know that not every health and wellness decision is easy, but I am able to make a decision. So that was a huge need that I saw in the world was for people to be able to understand things deeply enough that they felt empowered to take action. What do I get paid for? Well, I'm a chemist. I'm a pharmacist. I am able to use my voice to get my, my passions out there. And so I know that I can get paid for speaking, writing, and then the consultation of the information that is there in my mind. What am I good at? I'm really good at performance. I love being on stage. I love being on podcasts. I love being on video. I love being on camera. I love all of it. I love performance. And that is where the passion and what I really love comes into it. Because for me, growing up, 
I wanted to own a dance studio and then I wanted to be an actor and a singer. I wanted to be someone who made a difference through the way that we convey either our ideas or other people's ideas. So that passion that what I'm good at and what I really love really comes through there. What I'm good at and what I'm paid for is combining how do I speak and how do I speak from my knowledge base, then what the world needs is really one of those things that I am so grateful has become my vocation because it wasn't my vocation yet. I was missing the mission and vision that came from just the practice of pharmacy. So I was kind of in that space where it's like, okay, I have this job, but I feel like I'm not doing enough to get people to the understanding that health and wellness is in your hands. So when I think about my reason for being, it's it's extraordinarily difficult to sum up in just one sentence, but I feel like it's been the greatest blessing of my life to start out wanting to be a dancer, a performer, and then go and attain this education that I could get paid for forever. I'm also, I happen to be good at it as well. I, I, I take my oath as a pharmacist very seriously, and that makes me an excellent pharmacist at that with ongoing research and education and all the things. But what has been the biggest blessing for me is that when I put it all together and incorporated the mission that I have into what the world needs because the world needs health and they need health not to be complicated. Yes. Then, okay, here I am. I have the scientific knowledge. I'm a pretty good speaker and I love all different types of performance. And so here I am. I'm Dr. Lindsay Elmore. Nice to meet you. (laughs) I love it. You're a conduit and you can hear that passion in your voice. I mean, I have a friend in the essential oil community um, and, you know, and she mentioned you over a year ago, meeting you in Hawaii. And then you and I connect, you know, connected online, like many of us do. And it's so obvious that your goal is to just mutually accentuate all these different areas in a tangible way that people can use. So speaking, you know, as an extension from your Ikigai, I know that everybody wants to know, how are you doing it all? How are you personally balancing the yin and yang of life? You know, tell people about that because I know that's really inspirational for people when they're trying to harness their passion and then offer it to the world in a tangible way. Yeah. I mean, I... I think that I I also have to honor the fact that my entire journey started with an imbalance of yin and yang. So when I was in pharmacy school, I tore my ACL and that landed me in the chiropractor's office. I told the chiropractor that, you know, I hadn't slept in a while. 
And she ended up referring me to the acupuncturist. Well, the acupuncturist was the first person to give me this concept of the external and the internal, the what we take in and what we put out. So I am very good at putting things out. I can put things out there. I can make things happen. But finding inner rest actually takes work for me. And I think I'll just speak to this year specifically because, look, I can tell you about yoga. I can tell you about meditation. I can tell you about sleep and eating well and all those things. But for this year, I think the biggest way that I have honored the yin, which allows the yang to happen, is number one, surrender, just completely surrendering into I don't understand what's going on in the world around me. And unfortunately, in this moment, I don't think I'm meant to understand. And that's extraordinarily difficult to take in because, you know, what am I good at? I'm good at explaining science and that's what I get paid for and all of these things. But the other thing that has been critically important to me is to really honor the emotional journey, honor the fact that this year has had unexpected up and downs, that we've been challenged in ways that were not what we wanted. It's not not what we wanted for this year. And so I honor the fact that some days I feel sad. Some days I feel angry. Some days I feel like I can conquer the world. And so really just honoring the emotional ups and downs because oftentimes those emotional lows are a part of the yin process that plays into the way that you're able to bring your mission and vision to the world. So surrender and honor have been two big words for me this year that helped me to balance the yin and yang because I can show up and do the yang. It's just a matter of how do I not let it drain my ever living being out of me and surrender and honor were the two ways that I did that most importantly this year. That's incredible. Well, I learned a lot about your integrity in our first interaction on Instagram. You were hitting all these huge points about authenticity and truth and how just simply discussing our immune system as wise is like this modern act of rebellion. So I hear a lot of honor and surrender in that, in the way that you, you know, were discussing it. So, you know, I want to discuss a sense of, um, you know, nonsense and sense at the belief level, looking at what each of us assigns value to by choice, whether we're realizing it consciously or subconsciously. So to me, with all the mass hysteria, you know, what makes sense is kind of getting over that, not closing businesses, opening schools and places of worship, you know, starting to open things. That's what made sense to me. So I thought, if we want to help anyone who might be on the fence about these points, being able to make sense, you know, what do we need to do? We need to teach them about how the immune system actually works in a logical, simple way. This is a gift. You know, you said you're an entertainer. You make the science understandable and tangible. 
but I know you've gotten a lot of pushback, you know, for teaching people even well-documented scientific facts. So, you know, we, we have to make our new way from a highly informed perspective. So here's the loaded question. How can we teach people to think with ethical scientific minds that consider all information beyond what they've previously learned? Obviously, this is about you know, perceived notions and personal beliefs, but I really want to offer people a toolkit, I guess, to give themselves first permission to try a new way of thinking and then execute the new way of thinking while considering all the facts. And I know that's a lot of a, kind of a loaded question, but how do you see this toolkit? What advice do you have in that sense for people? I mean, here's, here's, here's the hardest news about the answer to that question. Part of what we have to do in order to our to approach our immune system, our stress level, our rearing of our children, our partnerships with our spouses and loved ones and friends, the biggest thing that has been so powerful for me this year is recognizing the imminence of our mortality. And I know that sounds harsh because they're like, oh my gosh, are you saying that I'm going to die? Stop, (laughs) pause, breathe. When you recognize that unless something big happens, none of us are getting out of this world alive. And every day on earth, we have about 2 million people that die. If you think about that, probably each and every one of those 2 million people had on average 10 people that really cared deeply about them. So if I can wake up every morning and go, holy crap, I woke up and so did the 10 people that mean the most to me, you are doing better than 20 million people in this world. Love it. And that allows us to take a step back and go, okay, if I, another thing I firmly believe, and this is in my spiritual belief system, you don't get out of this earth until it's your time to go. You don't get out of this earth until it's your time to go. Unfortunately and tragically for some people, that is earlier than we would like it to be. So it becomes even more important for us to put the value in the moments that we have. You know, you think about the book, Don't Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and it's all small stuff. We get so caught up in... Well, this new study came out and it has this statistic in it. Oh my gosh, you know, my my teenager is such a pain. That I I have a new kitten. You think she doesn't annoy me? <laughs> but yet if you put it into perspective and go regardless of what that paper says, I may die in the night for absolutely no reason. My 14-year-old that's driving me crazy could be in a fatal car accident. The kitten could get could get taken away by an owl this evening. <laughs> like a lot of bad things can happen. And so when we put all of that into perspective and say, dang, I can worry about all that 
or I can be within the present moment because there is no stress in the present moment. The moment is too fleeting for you to even have the conscious experience of stress. And so I think that the hardest news of all is that we already know what to do to stay healthy. We already do. Health comes down to some really basic tenets. What do you eat? How much do you move? How do you manage stress? How much love and support do you have? And so if you think about that, people are like, well, I have an autoimmune disorder. Well, that may be a byproduct of what you eat, how much you move, how do you manage stress, and how much love and support do you have from the community around you? And those aren't my tenants. I can't take credit for them. I got those from Dean Ornish. He breaks it down and makes it that simple. I tell people, listen, you already know what to do to stay well. You already know what to do. The problem is we don't trust that changing our food system and focusing really on what do we eat. We don't trust that really maintaining a balanced approach to stress and sleeping really well and having access to clean water, not just for ourselves, but I firmly believe the how much love and support that you have is not just how much love and support you receive, but how much can you give? So part of my mission in this world and my, you know, what else do I see that the world needs? The world needs equity in how we approach health. And so I know that a lot of people don't think of it in these terms. It's all about what do I eat? Where do I access my water? How much love and support do I have within my community? And is there access and time within my day to move effectively? Well, I want to see bigger than just me. What do I and the community around me eat? Can I... Can I break down some of my own internal barriers and recognize that food deserts and lack of access to non-processed foods, the, the elimination of traditional farming practices and the loss of the cultural knowledge around how do we adequately feed one community at a time is a breakdown that makes us all sick. It's a breakdown that makes us all sick. If if my fellow person down the street has to work three jobs to keep terrible quality food on the table for her children, and that means that she doesn't have time to go to the gym. She can't afford a gym membership. She is so exhausted by only getting four or five hours of sleep a night. The idea of saying, yeah, we're going to add in a 30-minute meditation and a 30-minute yoga session, that inequity in 
access to health on like a universal level. And this doesn't have to do with socioeconomics. We as a United States of America do not have access to food that we actually want to eat. If you asked, do you want to eat genetically modified corn and soybean and cotton at cottonseed oil as your three primary <laughs> sources of nutrition? Nobody's going to answer yes. Well, then we have to take a step back and say, well, why are 90% of our crops in America those three crops that are leading to our land not being as healthy, leading to our water not being as healthy, all of those things. And so, you know, step one, we come into contact with our own mortality and we say, I'm going to die and I'm going to live it up while I'm here. (laughs) Step two is we recognize that we know how to stay healthy. It comes down to what we eat, how much, how we manage stress, how much you move and how much love and support you have. And within that, of course, becomes, you know, if you don't have access to clean water, you can't wash your hands effectively. If you don't have access to good food, you're going to have the increased risk of cardiovascular disease. And if you can't manage stress, your immune system breaks down and your immune system fails you when you need it the most. And so we need to take into account, all right, well, if I know that my number one thing I can do is manage stress within my life to support my immune system. And of course, we're not going to be naive. Nobody is advocating that we go back in time to unsafe sewer practices. And I, I know I, as an American, am increasingly grateful each and every time I travel to a country where there is not water that comes out of my sink. And that is drinkable. You know, you may not like everything that's in there, but it's drinkable water. So can we move towards gratitude for all of those things, which allows us to increase the amount of love and support that we have, which then even mobilizes us further to help people understand. But here's another thing, friends, and this is a tough lesson. It is that right now, there are a lot of people who no matter what, they are going to disagree with you and they're going to fundamentally disagree with you. So you said your opinion was, it's time to open businesses. It's time to go back to schools. A lot of people think that that includes not be having mask mandates and not having social distancing, whatever that is. That's okay. That's great. You can feel that way. There are other people who will fundamentally disagree with you. And our jobs in this moment is to not change their minds. We can't. We're not going to change minds. Not right now. We will at some point. But what we can do is continually strive to establish the common desires because both sides, all sides, this is not, I I hate the positioning in modern media and I think it leads to a lot of stress that there is one way or the other way. Yeah, definitely. It's not the truth. So if we, if we continually stride to say, what do I have in common with this person? 
What do I have in common with this person? What do we genuinely want when it comes to our children going back to school? You all want the same thing. High quality education with a low risk of getting an infection. Everybody wants the same thing. It's all we've ever wanted. It's not like in the 80s, you know, when people were like, I want my kid to have a really high risk of getting an infection. No. (laughs) And we've never thought, I want my kid to have really low quality education. We all want the same things. How can we come to those commonalities and allow that to drive the discussion of what do we do in this moment? Yeah, that definitely is taking a step back and taking a step back is, you know, the toolbox and then opening it up and at pulling out each of those questions and looking back at everything that you're mentioning. You know, I wanted to talk about epigenetics and you've already gotten into that and you're talking about Dean Ornish's, you know, his principles, but yes. You know, that's a a very general view of epigenetics, but we need a very general view to start asking these questions about how our environment can shape us and how we can be involved in that. So I'm looking at fear, you know, epigenetic four-letter word. Kindness could be our most ubiquitous tool, but fear has replaced so much logic and intuition through the media, and all of these compounding years, you know, of not being empowered to believe that each of us possesses this ability that, you know, you're speaking to and right to take health into our own hands. So my job is to interpret it at the epigenetic level. I look at people's genetic data. Um, You know, I've observed those multi-generational epigenetic changes firsthand working with families, but What's your take and experience on how we can be educating on the importance of epigenetics, looking more into fear and transforming that into heartfelt responses? You know, you said we might not change people's minds right now. So taking this toolkit even further, where do you see the connection with epigenetics? What are some things that maybe just in your discussions with people, even where you're seeing connections, if we can all get on this level of we want the same things, then where are you seeing people light up and really starting to get it? I guess I would ask. I think when when you think about epigenetics and how fear plays in a role. I think it's one of those things where we think about what in literature is referred to as the stress enhanced fear learning. So if you think way back in the day when you were out on a prairie and a herd of buffalo started charging at you and you were like, oh crap, I'm about to get trampled. (laughs) That is a stress induced fear learning, a stress enhanced fear learning. So instead of being in a situation in the future where you have to run as fast as you can off of the prairie to get away from the stampeding buffalo, (laughs) you all of a sudden recognize, oh, I hear that stampede of buffalo off in the distance. So our body is trained to remember the bad stuff way more than the good. 
and you say, oh, that's sad. It, it is sad in this modern day and age when most of us, if you think of Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, most of us have our basic need met. We have shelter. We have at least some access to food, to water, and to warmth. All right. We're doing pretty good. Indeed. But back in the day, it was absolutely critically important for every stressful thing to be deeply ingrained into your memories. So one of the things that we can do to help shift the way that stress and fear memories have roles in epigenetic modifications to not only DNA, but also to our histone proteins is pause in a moment where something good is happening in that moment in your life and intentionally tell yourself, remind yourself to remember this because otherwise our days become this endless cycle of what stressed me out, what stressed me out next, okay, what stressed me out. And so we're able to shift away from these stress-enhanced fear learning, fear learning paradigms into an intentional crafting of our own internal and memory narrative circuitry. I also think that when it comes to shifting your stress response, there is no doubt in my mind, and it is echoed in scientific literature, that yoga, meditation, and breath control exercises not only mute our stress response, mute our cortisol response, but can actually change the structure of your brain. And when the structure of your brain changes, the output of your brain changes. Because remember, I think that people think that DNA is like this thing that's different from place to place. But the same DNA strands that are in my hair molecules are the same ones that are inside of my amygdala and inside of my gut cells. I have the same DNA everywhere. But at some point along the way in my journey from my stem cells to my hair cells, genes got turned on and they got turned off. And it said, okay, you be a hair cell. Okay, you be a cilia. You be a villi. You be a mitochondria. So we got told to be different types of cells, different types of cellular components, et cetera. And this is making it simple, but go with me. So if you're thinking about yoga and meditation, you think about, okay, here is a cell that has equal opportunity to become an amygdala cell, which is a cell that would code our fight or flight response. Or we say, all right, well, this cell could also become my hippocampus, which gives me that control of my emotional response to the world around me. And so if something as simple 
as controlling your breath, your inhale and exhale, and coordinating it with the way that you move can help to shift your brain from a brain more likely to respond to stress to a brain that is more likely to see a stressor and go, hmm, that's a stressor. Why would we not do it? Why would we not take a moment in our day, even if it's 15 seconds, 30 seconds? One of the women I interviewed on my podcast, um, she is a she is such a huge advocate of stop thinking that you have to exercise 45 minutes a day. Stop thinking that you have to do yoga 45 minutes a day or to meditate for 45 minutes. Can you meditate? for 15 seconds before you walk into a stressful meeting. You know, young children that are listening with your parents today, you know, or I guess teenagers that are listening, can you meditate for 30 seconds before you head in to take a test? Moms, oh my stars, with all the extra workload that is having to be taken on this year, be it deciding to homeschool, facing the stressful decision of whether or not to homeschool, facing the stress of going to PTA meetings where you're trying to advocate and be like, this is not the school that I want my kids to go to anymore versus there's a group of parents that say, no, we have to do all these things or our kids are in danger. Can you take a moment to recognize that a 15-second, 30-second meditation can shift your brain's reactions to those things and also come back to the understanding and the consciousness of, and this is going to be hard to take in, but just go with it. People that disagree with you, they're not wrong. They're just not you. And don't try to make them you. You know, we're all like women's empowerment. You do you, boo. But really, we don't mean it. We don't mean it in any way, shape, or form. We mean you do like I do or I have opinions of that. Give it up. They're not wrong. They're just not you. (laughs) I hear that every day when I'm on my consultations with my clients. Um, Eventually, it gets to become a bit of a joke when people do realize the way they're shaping their own perceptions. But I mean, forever, we've all taken it to heart that way. Um, I love what you're saying, though, about how each of us really has this ability just to take a few seconds and respond through intention all throughout the day. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can neutralize all of these experiences so that you're not taking them on as such an epigenetic burden and you can transform them. It's, it's so incredible. And it only takes a little bit of compounding practice to see these results. So, I mean, for, for my clients, it's always so awesome when, you know, they call me after working with me for three months and they go, Oh, you know, I did this experiment (laughs) and this is what I realized after a while. It's pretty cool. Um, Go ahead. I agree. I was going to say, we also have this completely false notion that health is a light switch. It's either on or it's off. But as one of my yoga mentors asked me one day when I was complaining about my hamstrings are too tight and he responded, he's like, well, just keep trying it every day for the next five years and see how it goes. And I was like, don't be like that. (laughs) 
stopped me and he said, how long did it take you to get into this body? And I think that many of us think about how long did it take me to get into this body as like the number of years that we have existed on earth. No. Um, you know, I believe, and I know that the data is conflicting. However, I think that there is enough scientific evidence to show that stressors that have occurred to our parents, grandparents, ancestors get passed down through our DNA. So how long it took us to get into this body could be, in some people's minds, since stardust, since we were barely a thought on the lips of God. And it is one of those things that when we take a look and say, how long did it take me to get into this body? Even if you consider that only your earthly years or the time since conception, whatever feels right to you, great. If it took you that long to get into that body, why do you think you're going to change it overnight? There is no magic bullet. There is no knight in shining armor. There is nothing other than showing up for yourself day after day after day saying, I have a choice today to be better or worse than I was yesterday. I have a choice today to do what I know is good for me to eat the best food I can, to be as kind as I can, to give as much gratitude as I can, to show as much love and support to everyone around me, even when I disagree with them, then we are able to shift ourselves. We're able to say, I can't control what happens around me, but I can control my reaction to it. I love that. I've seen so much of um, biological medicine and integrative medicine come together to help teach medicine this way, you know, starting at that belief level, what we assign value to, and discussing all of the multi generational experiences that came before us. Yeah. So it just it, everything. If you know, walk around in a circle, just everything attests to how the environment shapes us. I guess, speaking of that, here is a really fun question. Well, I think it's fun from listeners. So in these times we're experiencing, um, and you being a pharmacist, it's no secret that medications surrounding anxiety, depression, mental, emotional wellness have gone through the roof. Um, I wanted to talk about powerful medicinal compounds uh, that are in essential oils. So I want to talk about the comparative and contrasting neuropharmacology, specifically between jasmine essential oil and the class of drugs, barbiturates, and between lavender and widely known anti-anxiety benzodiazepine drug, Ativan. Some will know it as lorazepam. So there have been well-known studies. One was in Germany, uh, and it was showing basically that jasmine oil performed just as well as the barbiturates did. And then the lavender, when it was compared to the lorazepam in the study highlighted by uh, the International Journal of Phytotherapy and Phytopharmacology showed that um, the lavender was able to be used just as well. And I have to make the distinction, and I'm sure you would say the same, 
I'm not suggesting that anybody, um, you know, goes off of their medication or that anything we're discussing should be used in place of their medication. Everybody can take that up with their own, um, you know, doctors. But I wanted to ask you if you can talk about why this is significant in terms of avoiding side effects from these medications and how you suggest people align with practitioners who are qualified to suggest essential oils on a therapeutic level. Because I've heard from many clients, they were surprised when they visited integrative MDs who prescribed essential oils over some of these pharmaceuticals. And I know everyone is really interested in these distinctions right now. Yeah. So if we think about the first study where we looked at um, jasmine as well as benzos, barbiturates, as well as anesthetics such as propofol was also included oh, yeah, in that propofol. study. Yep. It's just nobody is on propofol. But the only time that propofol made the news was when Michael Jackson OD'd and died um, from the use of propofol. But unless you're in the ICU on a vent, you would not be on it. More than likely, you would be on a benzodiazepine uh, versus a barbiturate because of a plethora of reasons. But all three of these drug classes, the benzos, the barbiturates, and propofol, they act on synapses. So these are connection points in the brain that either extend the opening time of the GABA receptor or increase the flux capacity. And that's how much is moving across the membrane at one point in time. So GABA is a very, very gentle neurotransmitter. It is there to help calm us down. And so In this study, the researchers looked at hundreds of fragrance molecules to determine their effect on the GABA receptor. So there were two fragrances that caused the increase of GABA to be impacted. And in some times there were more than five times the effect of the known drug. Here's how they then confirmed it. So they took a group of transgenic mice where you basically knocked out their response to propofol by genetically modifying the GABA receptor. So they're, they're, in, they're impervious to propofol, if you will. So what we see is that these same mice no longer respond to the fragrance of jasmine. So what we see here is that by simply inhaling scent molecules, we are able to impact our GABA response, which then helps us to manage our sleep-wake cycle as well as the nerve cells that are active during our sleep. And so the neurons basically that govern our sleep and wake cycle and our GABA effect are enhanced. So again, a, a lot of people say, well, you know, essential oils, it doesn't make sense. Why would they work? All of the things. But here's the thing. If something as simple as inhaling an essential oil 
can at least in some small way help to be relaxing and perhaps help you to sleep a little bit better without the side effects of the benzodiazepines, which are not only potentially addictive, but also cause depression, dizziness, memory lapses, impaired coordination, et cetera, then the barbiturates as well as propofol do all of that. Plus they're much more lethal. And so why would you not do that? You know, this has been one of the most infuriating things about this year, as far as a response to a a challenge to our, our immune system is guys, it should not be mainstream prime news that vitamin C and zinc and selenium and manganese and magnesium are all really critical for the function of the immune system. That should not be groundbreaking news. No, it should not. It should also not be groundbreaking that if there is a way to support your body with an intervention that does not carry with it the potential of addiction. It also does not carry with it unless used in extremely toxic levels. The risk of death for an essential oil is who knows how many fold less than it is from the death of a benzodiazepine. Yeah, no one knows because no one's ever asked the question. But if we have options that are at least at least somewhat effective, um, perhaps even as effective, why would we not use them? And so that has been that has been one of the things that I've really thought about is why is there so much pushback to all of these things? And so in the second study that you looked at um, and that we're discussing today is, so number one, I think it is important to mention that this was not just lavender essential oil. It was a proprietary blend of a medication that is used to treat anxiety in Germany. It is called Selexin, and Selexin is encapsulated lavender oil, but there may also be other excipients. There may also be something. Who knows if it's just lavender oil or if they've pumped up the linalol or the linalol acetate, all those things. So this study is slightly different than just inhaling essential oil. The primary target for this study was to look at the change in the Hamilton anxiety rating scale. And what they saw was over the course of six weeks, they interviewed participants who were diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and a six weeks trial of either the Selexin or Lorazepam. And what they found is that anxiety was similarly reduced by 45% in Selexin group and 46% in the lorazepam group. And during the treatment period, they also had the measures of somatic anxiety. So anxiety that you kind of feel in your body, that, that feeling that your heart is racing or that your stomach is churning. 
versus psychic anxiety, which is where you have that sensation of the mind racing and not being able to clear your thoughts, also was clearly decreased by a similar extent in both in both groups. The lavender oil showed um, no sedative effects, so it didn't make people sleepy, even though it helped to make them less anxious in the study. The um, It also had no potential for drug abuse, and therefore, it may be an effective alternative to benzodiazepines, which both cause sedation and have the potential for abuse. They also have an additive potential for abuse when they are combined with other drugs of abuse and can be outright deadly, especially in combination with the use of alcohol. So this is two examples of the way that either using essential oils, either inhaling them, as we saw in the case of the hundreds of of fragrances that they tested in the first study, But then in the second study, we saw that encapsulated lavender oil in the form of selexin is also as effective as a benzodiazepine in helping to manage anxiety. Both of them have fewer risk of side effects. And, you know, I should have researched this, but I didn't before we got on. Um, But they also, in my best educated, um, in my best educated answer would be more likely, would, excuse me, be less likely to have drug interactions. And considering that women have been using lavender essential oil and jasmine essential oils for millennia while pregnant and while nursing, they are arguably less risky in those populations as well. Yeah. My colleagues would most definitely agree with exactly what you just said. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you. Yeah. Who are in um, integrative obstetrics and gynecology and integrative midwifery for sure. Definitely. So taking that question, you know, what do you, when someone asks you, okay, well, that's all fine and good, but how do I find a practitioner to, you know, to work with on that level? You know, what advice do you give to people when they're looking for someone specifically? To help guide this? So, I mean, here's one thing. I mean, number one, you can come and work with me. You can book a one-on-one appointment. You know, you can book a one-on-one appointment with, with Christine. There are a lot of people you can reach out to. But here's the other thing too. You are your own best physician. You are your own best inner guru. If you are currently on a benzodiazepine medication, Go to your doctor who prescribes it, or if you're currently on an antidepressant, if you're currently on um, a medicine that you're you're interested in getting um, in getting away from, talk to them and just say, "I am considering doing a taper of my medication. I'd like for you to help me to taper off of this medication because." Your health is your choice. You know, I hear people all the time like, well, I had to take it because the doctor said to take it. Is that true? Is that true for you? If that is true for you, then yes, you have to take it because the doctor said to take it. However, and and that is 
arguably true when it comes to certain medications. When it comes to medications that are for cardiovascular disease and asthma and things that can be absolutely life life-saving, then no, you're not just going to be flippant and say, no, I'm just going to go off of this. There's no need to suffer in the process. But if you're someone who says, okay, I'm willing to not just inhale my essential oil for 15 minutes a day, but I know enough to know that when I eat sugar, I get irritable. And I know enough to say, all right, when, when I don't have a healthy sexual relationship with my partner, I feel undervalued. I feel less of a woman, whatever those things are. I know when I don't exercise that I'm more likely to snap at my children. All of those things. If you say, then look, I've been on this medication for 10 years and I want to make sure that I come off of it safely. You better work with your provider to go on a correct taper, but don't think that your anxiety or your depression is going to get better if you still continue to make the same choices. If you still continue to eat the food that makes you irritable, refuse to drink water, and instead drink caffeine all day long. I mean, listeners, if you have anxiety and you are continuing to drink caffeine, you are doing the, you are continuing to do arguably the most harmful thing that you can do for the management of your anxiety, aside from being in abusive relationships and aside from being in war zones and all of the other things that can cause traumatic stress. But if you're in you got, you got a good job, pays the bills, you know, you you're got a roof over your head, all of the things that are baseline. Well, if you're continuing to drink caffeine and then turning around and being like, okay, it's time for, it's time for my Ativan, that is a simple change that you can do to help you more effectively manage your stress without the aid of medication. And y'all, I mean, I'm a pharmacist. If you want to use medication, I want to help you use it so safely and meaningfully. But if you're not wanting that path, I would love for you to take a look at how does my overall, how does the overall choices that I make throughout my day every day impact my mental health, my mental stability, etc. So I think it is time for you guys to really just look internally and find that inner doctor that is going to help you to collaborate with your physician or your pharmacist who is there to help you understand, all right, here's your medications and how to use them safely and all of the things. So I was going to ask you as we're getting into our closing here, what words of wisdom you want to leave with everybody, but I think you kind of just did it. (laughs) Yes. You know, find your inner best doctor because here's the thing, and I could go on and on about this, but I won't. I can find you studies to tell you anything is healthy 
And I can find you studies to say that anything is unhealthy, be it essential oils, be it a way of eating, be it, you know, chiropractor, all the things. You have to find your own inner inner guru, inner doctor, your highest and greatest good and have trust. And, you know, my, I say, God, you can say whatever you want to, but we have to trust that we are designed to be well. God wants us to be healthy. Why would God, in my opinion, take it or leave it, create this big, beautiful, magnificent world for us to be fat, sick, and nearly dead all the time. That's not the way life's supposed to be, in my opinion. I completely disagree with the Buddha. Life does not have to be suffering. Life will have difficult moments, but oftentimes butted up against those most difficult moments come the moments of absolute pure joy. I have goosebumps and a big smile on my face. I love that. Thank you so much. I want to keep talking all day here, but we're going to let you go. I want you to tell everybody the best ways to connect with you, though. I know everyone's going to want to. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such an honor and privilege to be here. And I just want to say, I was having one of those moments this morning where I was very down and out, and this has completely changed my perspective. And so thank you for bringing such a powerfully positive set of questions for us to discuss. And if listeners want to find more about me, you can find me at www.lindsayelmore. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-E-L-M-O-R-E.com. I do have a website specifically dedicated to young living education. It's called Why. Iledclub.com, as well as a vegan food blog over at cleanslatecleanse.com. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Lindsay Elmore and on Pinterest, Dr. That's Dr. Lindsay Elmore. Love it. I'm going to help everybody stay connected with you. Thank you so much, Lindsay. We'll oh, talk thank to you more you. soon. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the long way to kick off of season two. I knew Lindsay would help activate what season two is going to be all about taking health into our own hands and claiming the lifestyle we've been manifesting for ourselves. I've got a ton of incredible guests here coming for season two. Joe Cohen is back, the CEO of Self Decode. He came on with their chief science officer, Puya Yazdi. I've got biological medical doctor and friend, Dr. Jeff Drobat, back in the house. And he's going to be talking about owning immunity with ozone therapy, answering a lot of questions that I know people have on that topic. The awesome biohacker babes, Lauren and Renee, will be in the house with us. And one of my awesome friends, growth mindset coach and CEO of Think, Rob Reynosa, and more friends of Well Examined coming soon. Please remember to follow Well Examined on Instagram. Sign up to subscribe to the podcast at all of your favorite outlets. Please leave us a review and share with all of your friends. Love to you all.